Hey, well, good morning, everybody. We are in this series today called Questions from Jesus. Let's say the word questions together. Questions, man, questions are really important. Um, you know, questions can open the door to future possibilities that you didn't know existed. How many of you have been proposed to? You got that question. I remember the time when Debbie got down on one knee and asked me if I would marry her. <laughs> Changed my life. I'm like, this is possible. Okay, it's available. Aaron shared a story last week uh, about uh, proposing to his wife and at the time fiance and how he may not have been sure it was a possibility at that time. But questions bring about possibilities. And I remember when my kids were really young and we'd go uh, maybe out to eat, we'd go to, the, go to a restaurant and we'd sit down and they knew not to ask the question, can we have a drink? Because they knew they got a drink and it was called water, H2O, agua. Can you say free? That was the idea. But then there were those times, <laughs> there were those times when maybe I had an extra $100 in my pocket, I found it on the floor or something. And I'd be like, do you want a drink? And they're like, what? We can have a drink? It's possible? It's available? There is a God, is generally what they would say. And then they could have a drink. And then the Coke Freestyle machine came out. You remember that thing? What in the world? Like the possibilities are nauseating and paralyzing. Can we have orange and lime? And can we put some Sprite in there? And maybe even water, even though we hate it. Can we drink enough till we throw up, Dad? Can, is that okay? And we just, possibilities that we have and questions reveal to us some possibilities. Questions can pave the way to a different future when we begin to understand how to answer questions. You know, and Simon Sinek says this. He says that the right question is more important than the right answer. Think about that. The right question is more important than the right answer. And Jesus asks the right question every time, doesn't he? Jesus asks over 300 questions in the Bible. He has opportunity to ask them to his disciples, to the religious leaders, to strangers. He asks questions. And Jesus is not asking questions for his benefit. He's asking questions for ours. He's asking us questions to unearth something in us, to stir something up in us, to help us see the possibilities that may happen. You know, the question we're going to unpack today, Jesus says this to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Like, if we're honest, this can be a very frustrating question, isn't it, can it? Like, like sometimes it's even on a small level. You go to a restaurant and you're like, what do you want? Like, I don't know. You know, it's Cheesecake Factory. It's a book to order from. But, but in life, you get this question sometimes. It's a similar one to this. Like, if money were no object, what would you do? Well, that's a problem because money's always an object. We struggle with this idea of what do we want. Like, what do you mean? What do we want today? What do we want for lunch? What do we want next week? What do, school do we want to go to? What job do we want? Like, what do you mean, what do we want? It stirs us up. I was in North Africa this last month, this past month, and I was teaching at this very old historic church. And when I say old, I'm not talking about the National Cathedral in Washington. I'm talking about a church that was 2,000 years old, one of the very first churches that had ever been built. And while I was teaching, I was talking to a group, and I was asking them this question, what do you want? And some of them shared with me, it was very frustrating and made them a little angry because they just couldn't quite drill down on the answer to this question, what do you want? Imagine this. Jesus comes in today. He comes in, he grabs the mic, and he just walks up and sits next to you in front of the, everybody and shoves that mic in your face and says, hey, what do you want? Like, what are you going to say? And he comes over here, and he sits down next to you and says, hey, what do you want? Like, feels like a lot of pressure. Now, what most people are going to do is you're going to give the church answer because you're in church, right? Like, you're going to think, Jesus, I just want world peace. Just feed all the hungry children, Lord. Like, you know, what is it? What is the right answer to that question? But see, Jesus isn't asking what you think he wants you to say. Jesus isn't asking what 
your parents want for you. Jesus isn't asking what your friends want. He's not asking what your teachers want. He's not asking what culture wants. What do you want? It's a massive question. Like when you're daydreaming, where does your mind drift off to? What do you think about, dream about? Would you, would you love a house on 30A? Anybody? anybody? <laughs> Everybody? Yes, let's go. Ski in, ski out in Vail maybe. A new car. Healing from cancer. Restored relationship. Erasure of regrets and embarrassment. Like what do you Want. In those quiet moments of your life, what do you want? Have you ever understood how massive this question is? This question underlies everything you've ever done in your life. You got married, you know why? Not just because you got asked, but you wanted something. You took that job because you wanted something. You bought that house because you wanted something. You went to that school because it was the only one you could get into, but you still wanted something. <laughs> like it underlies everything that we do, this question. What do you want? And this question is so monumental, we cannot dare give it a very shallow answer. Like Bartimaeus had a great answer to this question. It was instant. It was quick. It was certain. It was full of confidence and conviction. He knew what he wanted. What do you want? Let me just set the stage for how Bartimaeus answered this question. Now, Bartimaeus is in Jericho, it says in verse 46, as he came to Jericho. Now, Jericho is a very important city in the Bible, a lot of different reasons. But in this particular context, Jericho was very populated. It, had, it was known as the city of palm trees. It was gorgeous. You can imagine any city that you know that has palm trees, like you want to move there most times. Uh, but it's where lots of people lived. It also was a throughway where there, people were on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Lots of people were moving through Jericho. I just want you to imagine you're at you know, Mercedes-Benz for a football game watching Georgia win their third national championship, or maybe you're at State Farm Arena watching a concert, and all these people are around, and they're talking, and there's one name that keeps bubbling up, and it's Jesus, because not far from Jericho, Jesus had raised the, his friend Lazarus from the dead. And when you do that, word's going to get out. Come on, right? Like you got to know people are going to recognize you. You're not going out disguised in public. So Jesus had a name. Also, this was the same city where Zacchaeus, Jesus encounters this guy named Zacchaeus. You remember the, maybe a little bit of that story? And he calls Zacchaeus to come down from the tree uh, and he goes to his house to eat. So Jesus' name would have gotten out. So Bartimaeus would have heard the name of Jesus. Now remember, Bartimaeus is blind. Right, blind, and blind since birth, most people believe. Never seen the sunset. Never looked into his mom's eyes. Never saw kids playing in the street. Man, didn't know what a cloud would look like, or a sunset, or a raindrop. He has never seen anything. And he hears that Jesus is going by. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Son of David was a title that they would have used for this Messiah, this deliverer that they were expecting to come. And the reason why he was on this road, because he was obviously, as a beggar, wanted to go where the most people were. So he knows that there's thousands of people coming by, and he plants himself right there. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for his execution and resurrection, I might add to that. And he begins to call out his name, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus calls him over in verse 51. 
Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? What a lucky day. Now, now, on the surface, it looks like this would be an easy answer to the question. He's blind. He's blind. But think about it a little differently. Do you think that Bartimaeus had a category for receiving his sight? Like, I think everybody in this room, we've probably all walked by people either downtown Atlanta or other places, people who were homeless and people who were begging. How many people have seen those on the side of the road or on the street? Like, we've seen people. And, and I've seen specifically people who are sitting there and they're sitting on their mat just like Bartimaeus would have been. And they're blind. You can tell they cannot see. Do you know what I've never seen? One of them with a piece of cardboard out front that says, help me get my sight back. What are they asking for? Pennies, prayers, and pieces of bread. Bartimaeus had no category. He didn't know sight was available. It wasn't easy for him to ask for this because he had never seen it before. He asked Jesus to do something that seemed impossible. Let me ask you this. What if Bartimaeus had only asked Jesus for a snack instead of his sight? What if he'd only asked Jesus for a snack when sight was available? When he had the one thing that could transform his life, that could get him a job, that could get him a future, that could help him not be a beggar, help him independent, the one thing, and he asked for what? piece of bread. Jesus, I hear you're a carpenter. Could you make me a new cane so I could walk around? What if he missed out on this opportunity? Now, now in the Bible, what we see is when you have physical blindness, it's also pointing and showing us a spiritual condition called spiritual blindness. And we're blind to the, number one, who God is, right? And what's available. We're blind to kind of how bad we need God, And what's available when we find and when we follow God? What is available? Bartimaeus understood his blindness. And sometimes we don't understand ours. Sometimes we don't understand ours. That we don't know what's available with God. That we've forgotten what's available with God. We don't believe what's available with God. So what happens? We settle for really small, superficial lives. And only when we begin to understand our spiritual blindness do we really, are we really able to pave a way into our future There's a guy named Nick Wright. Some of you guys have heard of Nick Wright. Nick is on Fox Sports. Coop, you know him, right? Come on. Um, Nick Wright is, uh, he's uh, one of the co-hosts for uh, First Things First on Fox Sports. Very loud sports voice. Nick Wright is known to be non-religious atheist. He's not antagonistic, but he doesn't have a spiritual background. Well, when DeMar Hamlin had his cardiac event as an NFL player, that was just so traumatic um, for the NFL, for the country, and it really stirred up so much talk about God uh, in the sports community. And even one announcer on ESPN prayed on national television through in the name of Jesus because this is just, they didn't know where else to go or where else to turn. And so Nick Wright made a few comments about that. He just basically said, knowing that two of the most important people in his life believe in a higher power. And in moments like that, he says he finds himself envious of that kind of faith. And he goes on to quote, it made me in the moment, I've got to say, two of the closest people in the world to me are deeply religious people and I'm not. It made me a little envious in that moment. And since then, that I didn't have that foundation of a greater purpose or a higher power or something because I feel at times like this when there's an inexplicable tragedy that I'm almost flailing about. Nick Wright's beginning to understand kind of his spiritual blindness, that he needs God, that there's more available with God. But man, we settle for such superficial lives. C.S. Lewis, great author, Christian thinker, philosopher, said this. said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let's say that again. We are far too easily pleased. Man, we settle for lives that are so manageable and we, and we take God in small doses and we don't realize how massive the offer is. Man, we settle for little small comforts, a dinner out, an extra drink on Monday night. Man, searching for something on the internet that we can watch just to give us a little temporary relief, a little temporary comfort. comfort. And we never stop to ask, why do we do that? Like, what's the drive behind that action? What is the desire that I'm searching for? Like in Psalm chapter 63, it kind of points out that, you know, when you thirst for something, it's really a metaphor for our thirst for God. When you're hungering for something, it's a metaphor for our hunger for God. Uh, Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Psalm chapter 63. Um, watch this. This is David writing it. And David, I don't know if you've read any of the Psalms. David can almost come across as schizophrenic. Hello, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm not trying to be politically incorrect, but it's still funny. Um, like, we would, have, we would send David to counseling if he were with us. But David wrote some of the prayers of the Bible. It's where Jesus himself even learned to pray. Listen to David right here. He says, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, what thirsts for you? Right? This is the imagery that we have. You know, when our body is thirsty, it needs water. It needs something to quench it. It needs electrolytes. Man, but when our soul is thirsty, what's it going for? Is it going to something shallow and temporary and superficial? Or is it going to something that can actually satisfy our soul? That's the thirst that David's talking about. It says, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, beholding your steadfast love is better than life. Your love is better than life. I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Hey, check this one out. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Check this out. Fat and rich food. How many steak lovers in the house? Come on, right? I mean, just think about it. Just think, even, the, even some of you vegetarians, I get it. You don't like red meat. It's inflammatory and all that, but just once. Come on, just once. Red meat, red meat. How many filet mignon in the house? Come on, filet, all right. New York, strip, okay, a few. Uh, different cut of meat that I don't know about. All right, that's you. Okay, one, one, more, one more question. Medium? Medium rare? Bleeding? All right, burnt. All right, so just think about it. You're sitting down to this meal, amazing, something rich, something that you love, something that's gonna fill your soul. And he says this, my soul is satisfied with rich food. God is better than that. Like when you sit down to a meal of that magnitude, it should remind us of the nutrition that God wants to bring into our soul. He wants to satisfy our soul. David closes it out. Um, and now that I've got you hungry for lunch, uh, when I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Right, Every desire we have is pointing to a desire that we have for God. Every desire that we have is pointing to a desire that we have for God. Listen, you have a desire for a house. You want a new house. You want a big house. You want a nice house. Um, you know, we're probably the only country in the world that has a, what, starter home for people, which implies what? You're going to finish somewhere else. We're going to what? Upgrade. Like that desire for a home, you know why you have that? Because God wants you home. God has put a desire in you to be home 
home. God is preparing a place for you, it says in John chapter 14. I believe Jesus is gone to prepare a place for us. Man, this is a God-given desire. But what happens? Smoke and mirrors. And we shift and put all of our attention on something that's right here, right now. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have nice homes and use them. I'm not saying that, but we just shouldn't be mistaken that that's the end game, that that's the ultimate, that that's going to satisfy our soul. And we have to realize what is available to us in the goodness of God. Psalm chapter 23 is another place we see the goodness pop out. You've, most people have probably heard Psalm 23, probably at a funeral. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You may have heard that. The way it ends up, uh, verse 6 in Psalm chapter 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <clears throat> and when David writes this idea of goodness and mercy, when he uses the word follow, it literally means chase me down. God's goodness will chase me down. And God has good things for us. We have to fight to remember that. We can't, we can't just settle into things that aren't available, that we don't think are available when, when the offer is life. The offer is more than we could ever dream of or imagine. You've ever heard this phrase, all good things come to an end. All good things must come to an end. What if that weren't true? What if that's a lie? And there are good things that will last. Ask yourself the question, am I settling for crumbs from off the floor when God has offered me a seat at the table? Man, am I eating from paper plates when I could be eating at the fine china? Man, am I settling for stuff that's temporary, for fast food, when a banquet is offered to me? And where are you settling in life? Where are you settling for small dreams, small hopes, small desires? See, it's hard to answer this question, what do I want? Because it's different for every person in this room. Listen, there's no formula. There's no matrix of decisions that you can make. Listen, we all have different experiences. We have different losses. We have different sorrows. We have different problems. We have different life stages. And so it's hard to be able to just kind of put a formula and say, yes, A plus B equals C, go do that. Man, God wants to stir it up in you. It's individual. Like, like how does that happen? How do we figure this thing out around desire? Glad you asked. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, gives us a little bit of an indication of how to get there. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, it says this, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. You should highlight that in your Bible. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. This is how we get to what God really wants for all of us. Listen, desire... Not discipline will fuel your faith. Desire, what you want, not discipline is going to fuel your faith. We need discipline. We have discipline. There's disciplines. There's formation principles. But, but desire, what you want, it's going to drive you. Man, the first thing that we see, one of the things that we see about God is, man, God shows up where people are wanting him. Right? God shows up where people are asking for him. God shows up where people are hungry for him. And, and one of the things that we see... In uh, Bartimaeus' life, I just want to talk about number one is passion. Number one is passion. Watch in Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 48. It says, well, let me, I'm going to back up um, to verse 47. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. It says, when he heard it, it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So that's kind of loud, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then in verse 48, it says, many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. That's the shh people. You got any shh people in your life, right? They should just shut up, right? Shh. 
I just made that up. 930 did get that, so you're welcome. Uh, listen, they're telling him to be quiet. So what does he do? He cried out all the more. You see what's happening here? A little passion. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shh. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. People are going to hear you. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Like he makes a spectacle of himself. He just begins to yell with his passion. You know, sometimes we think passion is the enemy of faith. We think, man, my passions are kind of what get me in trouble. Like, I don't know why I did that. I just wanted to. Like, we think that's the enemy of faith. Man, passion is not the enemy of faith. You know what is? Apathy. Apathy. Lukewarm. Being lukewarm. Man, man, the the church in the United States, the primary disability we have, apathy. People that have stopped caring. People that kind of care, care a little bit, but don't have a lot of passion around it. And Bartimaeus is showing us what it looks like to have some passion. Thoreau said this. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and they go to their graves with their song still in them. Quiet desperation. That describes a lot of people here, I think. Man, you just, you face some disappointments in life. You live a little bit. Things don't always land well. You just begin to kind of withdraw. Just kind of resign yourself. Listen, Satan's great desire for you probably isn't you just to run into a life of sin deep and dark. Like he knows you're going to do that. And if you will, he'll do that. Like, I don't think there's a lot of people in the room that are going to wake up tomorrow and start trying to smuggle fentanyl tablets out of Mexico into Texas. But what he will do is just try to get you to not care. He'll whisper this to you. It's always going to be like this. This always happens to you. There's not going to be any change. You just got to grin and bear it. You're always going to be like this. And what happens? Apathy, resignation, not caring, lukewarm. And Bartimaeus had been blind for years. Yet he still had this passion to get well, to get what he wanted. And we got to go to war with the mediocrity in our faith. We got to go to war with mediocrity in our faith. Amen, somebody? We got to go to war with mediocrity in our faith. God's will is like a match. It's like a match. Set your heart on fire. That's what God wants to do with you today. Set your heart on fire. He's not trying to get your behavior in line. And he's not trying to get you a bunch of rules to follow. He's not trying to be sure you do the right things. He's trying to get your, set your heart on fire. Like in religion, a couple of ways that we go about it many times. I will. I will do better. I will work harder. I will do what I'm asked. I will do things I don't feel like doing. I will. And what ends up happening? I didn't. Another one is I won't. Man, I won't do that. I won't commit that sin. I won't say what I'm really thinking. I won't have a drug. I won't. We do. I won't. And eventually what happens? We do. We do. Jesus, you know what he's after? I want. He's after what we want. He wants for us to delight ourselves in him and then our desires will begin to be his desires. Our heart will follow his heart. Our beliefs will follow his life and we'll begin to have this desire in us to want what he wants. And that's what's actually gonna give us the life that we want. This is what provides fuel for our future is when we want what God wants. Man, God wants to set our life on fire. 
Let me ask you a question. What have you stopped hoping for? Like, what have you stopped praying for? Man, what great disappointment are you living under? You're like, ah. Man, is it some sickness that you have? Is it some relationship that's been destroyed? Is it some regret from the past? Something that you did you can't seem to shake? And you'll move a few weeks or even months without thinking about it, but eventually, man, Satan just rewinds it right back to that memory. Is it something that you wish you would have done you didn't do? A place where you step back where you should have stood up? Like, what have you stopped hoping for? Is there a family member that needs to come to Christ? Is there the same anxiety you're just reconciling yourself to? Is there a level of depression you're living with that you feel like that's just what everybody has? What have you stopped hoping for? What have you stopped praying for? And what if, man, what if God, what if God wanted to step into that today? What have you stopped hoping for? And the first thing we see is that passion, not apathy in Bartimaeus. Second thing I want to talk through is just this idea of humility. This idea of humility. Now, again, nobody had ever seen a blind man receive their sight. Okay, nobody. So you have Bartimaeus, Jesus, or he says, Rabbi, I want to recover my sight. You know what the response to the crowd probably was? <laughs> Can't believe he just asked for that. Can he eat that clown? Golly, he is blind and dumb. Like, what in the world? He asked for sight. Everybody knows you don't get sight back. He's been blind for his whole life, and he thinks he's going to get to see? Like, what in the world? But he didn't care what other people thought, and he just was humble. Now, it was easier for him to be humble because of his life situation. And when you're humble, it just means you admit the truth. You just embrace the truth. You embrace the truth about who you are. You embrace the truth about who God is. That's what it means to be humble and to live in humility. The Bible says this, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Like, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's going to require telling the truth. God cannot change who you are pretending to be. God can't change who you're pretending to be. You can't hide behind your new car or your new watch or your job or your successful children or your successful spouse or your successful job. If you're hiding behind that, man, God can't change who you are pretending to be. Man, there's some great quotes on truth and about how truth is so important. Churchill said this. It's just men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing ever happened because <laughs> we don't want the truth. And probably the most famous quote on truth Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. You got to say it just like that and pointing your finger. Man, truth, the, Jesus, the, God says this. He says, God desires truth in the inmost being. And God wants us to come to, to grips with who we are, that we have sinned, that we've fallen short, that we're insecure, that we feel embarrassed, that we've been wrong, that we've been right, that we've had some victory and joy too. Man, God's looking for the truth. And God will pass a thousand lukewarm hearts to get to one, to get to one that's on fire, to get to one that will be honest, to get to one that will be truthful. That's why David was a man after God's heart. David was always so in touch with the truth of his life. Man, there's so much truth that we're not in touch with. Some of us need to tell the truth about our marriage today. You know, your marriage looks good on the outside. You put, the, put up the right face, the right shield, 
forward facing, it looks amazing, but behind the curtain, it's not so good. And it may not even be terrible. You may not be yelling and screaming at each other, but you know, it's not right. There's dysfunction there. And, and I just promise you, if it's there today and a year from now, five years or sometime in the future, it's going to be destruction, not just dysfunction. Some of us need to tell the truth about our addiction today. I mean, the thing that we think about getting home to at night, man, it, it could be a Netflix show. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. Man, it could be pornography, right? The thing that we think about, we, we need to tell the truth about that so that God can change our life. And we need, we need to tell the truth about our habits. We need to tell the truth about our apathy. We need to tell the truth. Man, what truth do you need to face this morning? And the path forward, being able to understand what you really want, is to face the truth. I mean, to realize what God wants to do in your soul today. What truth do you need to face today? Man, and another thing that we see Bartimaeus do is when they, they call him over to Jesus, they say, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Says he throws off his cloak. <laughs> he throws off his cloak. Now, for Bartimaeus, his cloak was everything. So if you think about it, he's sitting on it. And so when people would leave money, they would put money on his cloak. And so when he got up, he would just kind of wrap it up like that. And all his money and whatever people had given him would be in his cloak. It was his, it was his job. It was vocation. You know, when it got cold, he would wrap up in it. When it rained, he would put it over. It was everything to him. It was his most precious possession. But he did what? And he just gave it up. Because he wanted God more than he wanted his coat. What do you want more than God? Like if you start to examine your life and you start thinking through the things that you've put on your Pinterest board and the things that are on your wish list and the things where your mind daydreams toward, like what is it that you want more than God? And is it your bank account? Is it a, a reputation? And is it a certain look, a certain house? Man, is it a certain job? Is it a certain level of performance and self-confidence? Is it a certain beauty that you've sold everything to try to attain to stay young and yet it seems to be catching up with you? Like, what is it that you want more than God? Let's get at how to be humble and facing the truth. What is it that you want more than God? Then in, in, verse, in verse 52, it says that Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. So Jesus said, go your way. And Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way. So what, what he did was he made his way the way of Jesus. Bartimaeus made his way the way of Jesus. Like how, how can we do that? What are some things we can do to follow the way of Jesus so that we can actually be in touch with what we really want deep in our soul, the things that we're really craving for and desiring and dreaming about? You know, the first thing I think that we need to recognize is we know that if God wants to light a fire in us, he wants to set a match to our hearts so that they'll burn bright. And is we just need to stop settling for less than that. We need to stop settling for less than that. We need to stop settling, as Lewis said, for small creature comforts and small drink and small things that happen and, and, and small pleasures and small comfort that we go to. And we all have them. Like you're thinking of something that that comes to mind that you'll do maybe tonight or this afternoon, a TV show you're going to watch, something you're going to binge watch. There's so many things that we do that aren't necessarily bad, but they end up being the focal point of our lives. So we need to stop settling for small things and realize that there is more available to us. And we need to ask God to set our hearts on fire, don't we? 
Man, God, we just need to set our hearts on fire. Like when you start a fire, you know, you have to start it small, don't you? And then, and then what ends up happening is, guys, we just like to sit and stare at the fire. Like ladies don't understand that, guys. Why, why do we do that? I don't know. But we love to just stop and stare at the fire for hours on end. And the way you start a fire is with a fire starter log. But eventually what happens, <laughs> right? Am I wrong? <laughs> That's, did I just let out a guy's secret to the ladies in the room? So you start a fire with this fire starter log, and then what has to happen? Got to put some twigs on there. Got to put some logs on there. Or eventually, that fire starter log is going to go out, isn't it? It's just going to burn temporarily and not very hot, and it's not a lot of fun. And some of us have settled for a fire starter faith. And we get our verse of the day. We'll show up every now and then, and we'll, we'll take our kids to some Christian events, maybe even Christian school. We'll, we'll read a Christian book every now and then, listen to a podcast. We'll, we'll maybe throw a little money at the church, make us feel better about it. But eventually, that fire goes out. And to build a fire for God to actually burn bright in our hearts, man, it takes, it takes lumber. <laughs> it takes wood. I was uh, listening to a pastor, and he said this. I'm like, oh, this is so true for me, too. He says that what he wants to do is build a fire so warm and so bright and so hot in his heart that by the time he's 80, people are just drawn to it just to gather warmth from it. Like, don't you want that kind of life? Man, just to build that fire in your life. Man, what, do you, what kind of fire do you have? What kind of fire do you want? You know, another thing that we need to do is, man, we just need to get near the flame. We just need to get near the flame. You got to get around some people that are on fire. I can remember as a kid, we call people fanatics, Jesus fanatics. You know what a, a, a fanatic is defined as? Someone who loves Jesus more than you do. <laughs> and we need to get around some, some people who can fan our flame. We need to get near the flame. Hey, listen, this is why you show up on Sunday, isn't it? Like you, you, most people don't walk away from here thinking, I just wasted an hour of my life because it's usually more than an hour. But you come, right, God does something, whether it's through music or prayer or something that somebody says. I mean, there's something that just being around God's people, the people who've come to worship God, it fans that flame. So on Wednesdays, we have, we have a handful of interns, high school interns, and a lot of them show up early on Wednesdays. And usually they're meeting over here in, the, uh, in, in one of these rooms, in room 103, and they meet over there so that they can worship and so that they can pray for the day and some other things that they have. I thought there was like a 1,000 of them, but I'm told there's only like 10 or 15, but um, that's how pastors do numbers, you know that. Um, and so on Wednesdays, when I can, I can't do it every Wednesday, but I like to come over. Now, I don't come over here to hang out with the interns so I can give them so profound truth that I'm just full of because they need it. Um, I don't come always so that I can encourage them. I don't come over here for them. I come over here for me to be around people who can fan my life into flame, people who are on fire, man, people who are getting something done, people who have a passion. Hey, listen, don't let anybody ever steal your fire. Man, don't ever let, don't let, ever let apathy set in. Don't ever let someone tell you that something else is better than who God is. I'll count it as one of the joys of my life, the times that I get to spend with them. And I just walk in late because I can. And, then, <laughs> and man, and just to be around them and see what God's doing, you got to get around people like that. Man, you got to get around people like that. You got to determine this is a culture of your life, not a one-time event. Man, this has got to be part of your, the rhythm of your life. 
Man, I mean, if you've noticed this about your life, I mean, you'll go through difficult times, it'll pull you close to God, things get better, you'll go away from God. Man, things will get really good and you'll get distracted and you'll pull away from God. Then there's coming a time and you're like, ah, oh, I drifted. Or, oh, I wish I would have gone in deeper right there. Oh, I didn't know what I was missing back then. This is kind of how our lives tend to work and the rhythm of our lives work. You got to make this a culture of your everyday life. Listen, you got to wake up every morning, you got to read God's word. And you don't read it just to say you did it to check the box. It's not a duty to say, I will. Man, it's something that fans us into flame. Man, the, one of the phrases that we have around here is when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. And this is what God does. He just breathes on that fire in your heart just a little bit, across his word, breathes on it a little more across his word, and it just begins to build that fire in your soul. And you got to pray. you got to ask God for some things. And I mean really ask God for some things. I think there's probably everybody in the room wakes up in there. As there at some point in the morning, they're like, God bless my day. And you don't even know what that really means, do you? <laughs> you heard that at church, so it must be good. And it is, but you're not even really sure what it means. I mean, what if you learned to pray the way Bartimaeus did when Bartimaeus did what he cried out? That's the kind of prayer that we see happen with Bartimaeus. And we got to adopt some rhythm so it's not just a one-time-a-week event or just a one-season-of-life event, but it is a daily dependence on the God who loves us and has good things for us. And I'm going to close out by talking about the two most important words in this passage, I think, at least right now. And, and we'd overlook them, and we wouldn't think about them if we didn't really pay attention. Um, as you read through, and all these people are coming by, and Bartimaeus is screaming out, and people are telling him to shh. And then Jesus, it says in verse 49, we see Jesus' first response. It says two words, Jesus stopped. God himself, who was on the way to Jerusalem to be executed at the hands of the Roman government with the influence of the religious leaders, is going to re resurrect three days later. This is where he's going. This is what's on his mind. He knows it. Jesus stops for a blind beggar. Like, I don't know about you, but I know I've passed by some blind beggars before. I've walked right by them, haven't looked at them, haven't paid attention to them, just walked right by. Jesus could have kept right on walking, but Jesus stopped. And this is the God that we serve. Jesus stops for you. Jesus stops for me. Man, when we come to him in humility, when we come to him in truth, when we come to him and cry out, man, Jesus stops. This is what we want to do this morning. Man, I know that I know. There's some things you've given up on in life. I think there's some people in the room, physically, you're just sick. Maybe it's chronic pain. You know, maybe it's infertility. You know, maybe it's uh, cancer. Man, man, I don't know what it could be. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety, whatever it is. And you just need to let God just step into your life today. I'm not promising. I can't promise that God will always heal it. But I know what? He's going to stop. He's going to show up. He's going to lean in a little bit. He's going to give you what you need today. And maybe you've stopped even thinking it's possible. You've stopped desiring for more. You don't even know what's available today. You're just confused and giving up, and you don't know why these things happen. Today's for you. So we're going to have some guys and ladies down here on the front. We're just going to have a time as we worship you to come and just to pray with you, man, to pray with you, to ask God to intervene today. 
You know, maybe it's a financial problem for you. Maybe you're struggling today and everybody else seems to have it together, but, but you seem to be behind the eight ball. People seem to be moving forward. You seem to be moving back and you don't know why it is. And you don't really want to say it out loud for fear of appearing weak, but man, you just need somebody to step in and pray for you. Maybe today you're lukewarm. This is the most dangerous place to be. Because when you're lukewarm, what do you do? I'll do it some other time. <laughs> I'll pray for it some other time. I'll let them pray for me later. Man, I'll have more time later. Right now, I'm busy. And the lukewarm heart runs the risk, runs the risk of growing extremely cold, extremely cold. Today, you just need to come down and say, God, set a fire in my soul today. Man, set a fire in my heart. Light me up, God. Give me what you want. Man, that should be the prayer for you today. You know, maybe some of you, you just never really decided to follow Jesus. You've gone through the motions. You, you know the surface level, what the superficial follower of Jesus looks like. You do the right things, go through the motions. But you know, deep down, your life's not oriented. You're not delighting yourself in the Lord. It's not where your affections are. Today's a day where you just need to come down. Let someone pray for you, pray over you. Now, so what I'm going to do is I, I'm going I'm to pray for us. And uh, these folks are going to stand up in front. Hey, in the last service, I just want you to know, before I said amen, when I looked up, this place was full. People were just getting prayed for and just finding hope and healing. Man, we want to be a place that invites God into everything. What do you want?